you're listening to In The Know, a collection of career development insights and leadership experiences from INSEAD, the business school for the world. And welcome to another episode of In The Know from INSEAD. My name is Luke Thomas, and today we're featuring the interesting topic about careers and leadership in entrepreneurial startups. Approximately half of INSEAD graduates run their own companies at some point in their careers. Others join high growth ventures, lead entrepreneurial projects within corporations, or focus on social ventures. We discuss some of the challenges that can be faced by running your own company. I kind of know now that it's very hard to make to take risks when you are not 20 anymore. At that time, you know, at that time it was like 2007, 2008, you know, well, that's when the crisis hit and a lot of my classmates had a lot of uh, difficult time finding a job. So, so that's why I went for Google was a good choice. Uh, but still, you know, the more risks, the, the, the more risks you take earlier, the better, right? Because later on it's going to be more difficult and you just learn so much from taking those risks. That was one of our guests, Alexander Bregman, who is one of our EMBA alumni. During our conversation, we also discussed INSEAD's famous Your First 100 Day class. The class is notorious for high stress levels, late night calls, and a lot of hard work that requires participants to sign an NDA to partake in the class. While obviously we couldn't discuss some of the specifics of the class, you may get a little idea of the concept. So just on the due diligence, you really have to decide what you need to focus on, which I think is- giving too much information. I'm giving too much information away. Okay, I'll stop there. Stop there. Stop there. But the course is, I think, uh, a lot of fun. Also joining our conversation was Adrian Johnson. As well as co-founding several companies himself, Adrian teaches the legendary Your First 100 Days. So let's get in the know with Alexander Bregman and Adrian Johnson. We've got Adrian and Alex here. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for your time. Let's start off with a very simple question. In what are you doing now with yourself? Uh, how did you get here? And tell us more about your background. Shall I kick it off? Sure. Go All right, it. cool. Well, thanks for inviting me in. Uh, always good to be back here in Fontainebleau campus after graduating two years ago. Uh, so I am now uh, 100% focused on my startup. I'm a CEO and co-founder of Invitely, uh, based out of Paris. So that's my full focus right now. Sure. And Adrian? So um, I'm, uh, I've had a long uh, relationship with, with INSEAD from uh, graduating from the MBA program and I'm embarrassed to say uh, 1990 um, and uh, an entrepreneurial career for much of the 10 years after that and, and beyond and uh, ended up back in Fontainebleau um, as part of the faculty um, teaching entrepreneurship and, and various other things. Right, fantastic. And and Alex, you had a f- well. You went through the the EMBA program. Um, That's right. Yeah. What was your? How did how did you come to that decision? What what sort of made you take that journey in life? Right. Um, so look, I graduated in uh, uh, December two thousand sixteen. Right. So I was Gamba sixteen, starting my program in November two thousand fifteen. Right. So by that time, I was still at Google. All right, I started off at Google a very long time ago. It was back in 2007. So at a certain point, I was um, kind of thinking, okay, what should I do next? Um, I, by that time, I already had a family. I had a one child. And, you know, it was a bit 
you know, I was kind of in a situation I, I was not entirely sure, right? Uh, would I have, should I be quitting Google? Should I be doing something else? And I always had this this interest in doing an MBA at certain at a certain time. Because for me personally, I, I only did a bachelor studies. And, and after finishing my bachelor, I, I started doing my, my um, you know, a full-time job straight away. So I didn't really have a time for a master. And I, you know, bachelor does just went way too fast. I always wanted to go back to studying at some stage. So at a certain time in, in my career, Google, I actually did an executive program in NCAD a long time ago. I think that was like 2010. Yeah, I guess I was like 2009, 2010. So I was here already in Fontainebleau. It was really good. So I definitely kind of got the flavor of it. And I knew I wanted to come back. And I guess I was kind of getting ready 2014, 15 to, to do something. That's when I signed up finally. It took some time to really make that decision. And yeah, and, and things changed pretty quickly since then. So mm. that was kind of the run up to why I decided to do it. Okay. Yeah, very nice. And uh, I guess I know your story, but those of our listeners that don't know the story, right. that was part of the reason you went in to become uh, an entrepreneur in, in, in your yeah, yeah, journey yeah. to your job now. <laughs> exactly. Now. I mean, I guess the topic of today is entrepreneurship, right? Exactly, startups, yeah. right? So look, for me, uh, you know, when I was at Google, I actually didn't want to be an entrepreneur at all. Sure. For a very long time, I was really much resisting the, the idea of becoming one. I don't know why. I guess I was pretty happy my job at Google. I mean, it's a great company. I was, I shifted three countries, three different departments. There's new stuff happening all the time, new, new products, new challenges. It's a really interesting place to be. It's not for mm. nothing that actually people, you know, stick around for quite a bit because it's actually a good place to be. So I was in that, in that situation and um, I didn't really have a reason, I guess, to become an entrepreneur. I never thought I'll I'll have, I don't know, I guess maybe at some stage I thought it's just not for me for sure. some reason because I was not 21 anymore, 23 and not that typical, you know, Silicon Valley story where you graduate and do startups right away. I kind of passed that moment. But then at NCAD, I did my, you know, executive MBA program and that was kind of like, uh, definitely a jumpstart moment for me to to start doing something, right? Because in the in the Gamba program, there's something called, called the final project, right? So final project is usually, you know, it can be anything between doing a project for your own company where you work, or it could be something as uh, building a f business plan for any idea you may have. So, and a lot of people actually do it. They build a business plan and that's exactly what I did. And it kind of forced me and essentially was forcing me in the beginning to work on something. And at uh, my job at Google, I was working a lot on, on consumer apps, right? Sure. Like uh, Google News, Google Play Newsstand, Google Assistant, a lot of different consumer services. So I was always very interested in that area. And during my game, I was kind of was forced to work on an idea I had. And I had this big problem, big idea that I wanted to work on, but I never had the time, right? I had a kid, I had a business travel, I had a family, I had a, so many different things on my mind. It's impossible when the full-time job to actually take time for it. And yeah, and then I met Adrian, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Adrian, I met my co-founder Adrian as our final project coordinator, right? That was your official job title yes, at the time, yeah. right? The final project coordinator. And yeah, he coordinated us all the way up to launching a real startup basically. So, and again, I didn't even think that would happen when I started my, uh, my program here. And I know actually one of your questions is, was probably going to be, what was your thinking of doing after the program? Right. And when you, when you start Gamba, you, you get to write yourself a letter, uh, you do a lot of those things and, uh, 
you, at that time you think it's super dull, right? To write yourself <laughs> a letter. It is pretty dull when you have to do it. But it's interesting when I received my letter like a year and a half afterwards, in that letter was written that, you know, I wanted to be something like in a nice position at Google or maybe in another company, big corporate role in uh, leading maybe a big organization or a team, but nothing about entrepreneurship, right? So yeah, those letters were interesting and it was quite a fun. I, I, I don't know where it, where it is anymore. So yeah, so that's kind of how things got started for me. Fantastic. And you, uh, nice little link there, I guess. You, you mentioned that Adrian was a, a big part of that journey. And Adrian, uh, yeah, as we're saying, discussing sort of entrepreneur topics. Uh, I'm not suggesting you get equity, by the way, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> just be, yeah. I've got my lawyer. So you've been involved in many entrepreneurial uh, ventures yourself aside of INSEAD. Uh, can you sort of explain how that sort of molded you as, as, as the person you are today? Sure, absolutely. And just a, a, qu a quick aside, um, I, mean, I, I feel now I have tremendous responsibility. Um, you know, people <laughs> giving up fantastic jobs at Google to yeah. start companies, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah. I hope uh, Alexander does well, If things go wrong, yeah. I will come to you. Well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so unlike Alexander, I think when I came to Intel, I was, I, I had a much shorter career as, as, as very young when I came to Intel and I was on the full-time MBA. And, and back in those days, the average age was younger anyway. Um, and so I'd really only had uh, two or three years, two years plus a year, a gap year before university where I worked for a company. So I'd had altogether about three years of professional experience. And, um, but I was very keen uh, to become an entrepreneur. So, so one of my, my mentors and role models is, is my uncle who started actually an industrial company um, in, in the early eighties. And as a teenager, I used to go and work for him um, in, in his factory. And, and, and he really got me excited about uh, building businesses and um, becoming an entrepreneur. So that was really what I wanted to do, even though my three years of professional experience were with a very big company and actually an experience that I really um, treasure now. I think the things that I learned there straight after university were things that would have been difficult for me to learn if I'd done the sort of the the, the classical, as, as Alexander mentioned, the classical sort of um, university to start up. And, and in those days, the, I don't think the word startup even existed. No, probably not. <laughs> but I came to INSEAD with the, the goal of I wanted to start a business. Um, so there were a couple of challenges to that. One was that in those days on the full-time MBA, um, I'd say the, the teaching was very much oriented towards larger companies. Um, it was a great, it was great to come off the MBA and become a consultant or an investment banker. Um, and we had a few electives um, on entrepreneurship, but very few compared to what we have now. So the entrepreneurship department was not what it is today. Um, and I came out also with a lot of debt. <laughs> and so, and I, and I came out with a lot of debt, uh, no idea no team, everything that one would need to, to start a successful business. Sure. So, so fortunately, I was pragmatic and realistic enough to, to think, you know, I, I really should go out and get a bit more experience. And, and, and it just so happened that the Berlin Wall fell while I was at INSEAD. So it, it did open up a lot of tremendous opportunities to do, to do something unique, actually. Um, and I ended up working for the Treuhandanstalt in Berlin and in Dresden, um, the, the privatization agency of the German government and and doing something which to date is is, is unique in that you know being part of a privatization process where two companies two countries are coming together we literally had thousands of companies to sell I was involved initially in restructuring 
And then um, basically trying to sell these companies to, in my case, Anglo-Saxon investors. So this was a, 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 a tremen tremendous application of what I'd learned at INSEAD. We were looking at every aspect of a business and it was, it was M&A on steroids. Um, and fortunately, during that time, I, did, I, I came into contact with a lot of people and ended up, to cut a long story short, meeting a, an, an architect who was involved in the very early days of, of 3D visualization, 3D animation. Um, so we ended up starting a business together um, in Berlin, um, doing architectural animation and visualization for, for large real estate companies. And, and it, it, I like, it's funny, in those days, the word disruption didn't exist either, at least as applied to business. And, and we were disrupting the, the, the space for visualizing architecture before it's built. Um, and, and, and so one of the things I didn't learn was marketing, because we walk into these big real estate companies and say, you see that hole in the ground outside? We can make it look like this. And it was, uh, it was a very compelling value proposition. And we were able to build uh, a nice, very profitable, positive cash flow business around, around that technology uh, breakthrough. And uh, the problem we had was scalability. So we weren't able to scale scale the business because we needed a very specific set of skills that were, we needed people with architectural knowledge, uh, Unix knowledge. We were using silicon graphics workstations, um, also some, art, uh, archit um, some sort of artistic flair and so on. So we had to get, most of those people at the time were in Los Angeles making movies, right. things like, we're using the same software as Jurassic Park and <laughs> things like that. So so it was a, it was a, it was, it was a tremendous moment in my life and, and you know, I haven't looked back. And, and actually, I like to say that the last time I had a proper job was in 1993 before I started that company. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, right. Oh, so that's, yeah. Fantastic. And I mean, that's, that's you know, a question I hear often that, uh, you know, the, the faculty at INSEAD, uh, how, how do they balance that experience um, with, in the outside world versus the academic experience they have? And, and I suppose that's something you've experienced yourself and would hold quite dear in, in a lot of the messages you give to people like Alex and that's coming through and giving them advice in how to how to manage a company. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, fantastic experiences you've got and fantastic stories as well. But well, thank you. Like, and, and yeah, I think what, as particularly in entrepreneurship, and I think in business schools in general, I think we need a combination of um, the the tenure track or, or tenured academics sure. who 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 provide the theory, who do the research, um, and combine that with with what we call practitioners. So people who've been out in the field, who have started businesses, and can then uh, share that practical knowledge. I think entrepreneurship is a particular subject where you there is obviously some theory and research to be done, but a lot of it is hands on experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, in, in my case, and, and it's certainly true, uh, some of my colleagues who have extensive experience in, in particular fields, but I was fortunate to have sort of a double entrepreneurial experience in that after my second company that I founded in the, the mid to late 90s was uh, was a voice over IP company. Um, so Internet 1.0. And so we had this whole journey of, of raising capital. So it was completely the opposite of the first company, negative cash flow. Um, in fact, we, we sunk all our money from the first 
first startup in the second, the second one. one and then realize, hmm, we don't, we actually probably need to talk to other people who may have money to fund this. And it yeah, was, yeah. and I had an experience which, which has been useful for some of the projects I've supervised about, you know, raising capital from professional investors um, uh, and all the responsibilities that that involves. And then, you know, growing a company with external capital and, and, and then scaling rapidly, mm-hmm. which is, which is something that I think uh, uh, Alexander's definitely facing now. Sure. Right. Well, one other question I've got for, for the career section is you mentioned you didn't have the intention, uh, Alex, that to, to become an entrepreneur. Uh, you were saying that, uh, you know, Google was a very nice place. Listeners out there will say, well, no, it's one of the leading places to work. Um, you're now an entrepreneur and you've been doing it for some period of time. How do you, how does the two compare? I mean, uh, you've, you've sort of experienced both. Is I mean, there's there's got to be pros and cons, I guess, but Look, what's it as, yeah, like as an entrepreneur? I, I, I get that question quite a lot, right? How's your, how's your day different? To be honest, at the end of the day, it's still quite similar in many ways. You know, I'm still spending most of my day working on product stuff, talking to engineers, uh, working on decks, still there, right? Talking, you just have, you know, as a CEO, and I'm both the CEO and the CTO of the company. So, you know, uh, we have a team, we have engineers, we have uh, marketing people. Uh, we're now six people in, in our team and there's me and my co-founder included. So there's people to manage and, you know, investors that we have to get in touch with and, and, and manage as well. So there's a lot more responsibilities, obviously, than in my job at Google, right? At Google, I was kind of focused, even though my responsibilities were also pretty broad because at Google, that's kind of the way uh, jobs are set up. You have very broad responsibility. But, uh, you know, Obviously, right now it's you got a lot more responsibilities. You have a lot more different kind of problems, right? Um, problems from all over, from hiring to funding to product to bugs to, you know, there's problems every every single day from from whole different areas. But overall, I feel like you know I'm still working on tech products, and essentially, my goal is still the same. By Essentially, what I have is what I, my goal is to have a lot more users for my products, right? And we didn't even discuss the product that I'm working on, which uh, overall is still a tech product. And obviously, at Google, I was working on products that had what is it, two, three hundred million users. Yeah. Now I'm, you know, we just celebrated twenty thousand users last, you know, this week. So congratulations! Yeah, thanks. So <laughs> you know, twenty k is a lot, but it's uh, you know we're still uh, not at two hundred million. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. All right, now focusing more on the, the programs and the program itself, Alex had experience uh, in the Gamba program. Uh, Adrian had experience himself in the MBA program and uh, been on the admissions team for the MBA and now in admissions for EMBA and obviously uh, teaching various classes. Alex, tell me about your experience with the, the Gamba uh, program. Uh, I believe that's, uh, that's where you met your current part, uh, your, your right, business partner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. How, how did that experience come about and, and how, how did you meet you know, your, right. your current business partner? So look, the, the overall experience um, of the Gamba program, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a very intense experience. Um, it's hard to kind of prepare for it, but at the same time, you got to be ready for, uh, you know, what is it, 15 to 18 months, right? Uh, of very intense travel, intense studying, intense networking, intense kind of development and, you know, 
I guess you guys like to use the word transformation a lot. It is it is a bit of marketing language, but it's more or less true, right? Because you do go through uh, through such an intense period period where you get to you know listen and meet and and experience so many new different experience new experiences um, that uh, yeah this this experience you know the Gemba program really everyone kind of changed uh, during that program and you know. A lot of people whether change their jobs, change their career path, or you know, grew in their jobs or, or or changed completely like I did. And and a lot of this kind of happened with a lot of different people. So no, the program was really good. I, you know, in Seattle, I kind of knew that before. Inset has amazing professors. And uh, you really get to learn really from you know really good professors on on the on the topics you really you know, you really care about much more than when you were back, you know, doing maybe your bachelor's. I guess that's where most listeners kind of refer refer to when they talk about university, right? We kind of all remember that time sitting in class. Myself, I was studying, I was uh, in Rotterdam in Holland. That's where I was doing my bachelor's. And, you know, what INSEAD is, is is not exactly like that. It's so much different. It's, you know, you got world-class professors, very interesting students uh, sitting in, in the same class. So the experience is definitely completely different than anything else you've done before. And um, it will definitely have a very big impact on your life. I, I don't know anyone who has not had, who doesn't feel like that. And, you know, we were in a big class and everyone has very interesting stories. And that meeting between uh, yourself and your right. business so, partner? Exactly. So um, Karim and I, he's, he's the co-founder of Invitely. We uh, we were both in the Gemba section, right? In the Gemba Europe section, sorry. So uh, Gemba has three sections, right? So Europe, uh, Asia, and Abu Dhabi, uh, the Middle East section. We were in the biggest one, which is the Europe one. And we were both here. Uh, Karim, at that time, he was still working for uh, Total in oil and gas, so a whole different background from mine. And we kind of found ourselves uh, when I was... Uh, starting to pitch this idea I had for Invitely, right? At that time, it was literally just an idea, nothing more than that. And I wanted to do my final project for it. And I was kind of talking about people and he, he really felt very strong about it. And that's how we started working. And before final project, we didn't know each other that well. But, the, you know, that project took, I don't know, how, how long is the final project? Four, anyway, four like, months or so? From no, then. there's longer than that, I guess. Was that? Okay. <laughs> I My guess official that's, that's official. No, I mean, four <laughs> months, you kind of finish it up in December, but you start... I don't know, I guess March, April, kind of you start thinking about it. And then most people start during summer. I guess we started- Conceptualizing and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Kind of, That's why they got such a good grade. They we started in March. Yeah. Yeah. Start yeah. Very early. It's very important to start early. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, this is, I don't know if you want to do tips or not, but yeah, if you want to do something, you better do it well because you're doing it at the end of the day, you're doing it for yourself. Exactly. You're investing a lot of money, a lot of, time in it it has a big impact to your life and you can i don't know i mean that's at least my the way my position was you really have to get the best out of it and and for me i guess that was starting on time with my final project and it it paid off i guess so that's how we met with karim and we're still working together Every single day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great story, and uh, well, the, it's the, a great story if we if we become a big unicorn. Uh, yeah. So now, right now, it's a good story. <laughs> That's the aim, I guess. Yeah, uh, we're working towards getting it to a great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the and the final project, Adrian. That's something that you're largely uh, involved with. Can you sort of give us a more of an overview of that final project and what's required there? 
Yeah, sure. So, um, so I, I supervise anything between, well, last year, actually it's, it's gone up since your, your time. I, I supervise 13 projects. The, the, the projects I tend to get involved with are ones around entrepreneurship. So sure. often a startup project and, uh, you know, we have colleagues, other, some of the projects, um, that I don't see, uh, around, uh, doing something in an existing business, uh, often the, the, the students will take a project within their companies and, and, and so those will get to the appropriate faculty member, be it, you know, supply chain management or marketing or whatever. So I'm, I'm fortunate that I get to see really, really cool uh, startup ideas. And and um, and the reason I only see the four months is I officially get involved in July and sure. uh, the submission is in October. But uh, um, as as Alexander mentioned, you know, the, the good projects will start uh, working really early on them back in in March, in, in your case, Alexander. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's the, the idea of the project is it's an opportunity to apply everything you've learned uh, as much as you can of what you've learned during the during the Gemba program um, and and I particularly encourage my students to you know all the tools they've learned be it blue ocean strategy or you know things like the value proposition canvas all those those technical tools try I, I encourage my participants to apply them um, and also one one thing which is true of entrepreneurship in general I I've had some some projects which at the end of the process we've seen this is not a good business this is not and actually some of those those participants have have still got very good grades because they've gone through the process and actually you know sort of kept in line with the lean methodology in terms of they failed fast they've realized why the project is not a good business and i see some those projects even as uh, successful projects because they've come to the end they've spent however many months on it and saved maybe four or five years of their lives yeah, for sure, so, which is so, important as well, That inf- yeah. or that finite uh, resource that we have in time. So, yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. And, of course, it's rewarding when we see we see uh, projects like Karim and Alexander's that actually go on to be to be real businesses. That's, mm. that's rewarding. And, and, you know, I watch in, in excitement as, uh, as, as Invitely grows. And, yeah, I hope absolutely that I'll get invited to the IPO party and the uh, Friends and Family Program. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the IPO party, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to be on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe to highlight, actually, it, it was definitely the final project had a big part of it. It's not the only one, right? Because there were other opportunities for us to um, to use this idea and to get the most out of it. And at some stage, kind of two or three months into Gemba, we kind of understood that this could be really something very interesting. So we started using this, not just in the final project, but also in in different opportunities, like uh, I think they're called implementation essays, if, if from the if I remember correctly. So we used um, the, the idea of invitely for those essays. Came Cs, right? The, this kind of final part of the program. We used uh, invitely as well, and we got so much great feedback from the class, and that gave us kind of an opportunity to get feedback from the class. Um, it gave us an opportunity to um, uh, to also potentially. Um, have other people work on it, right? During KMCs, we were we kind of split up. Karim he did one KMC, I did a whole different one. Both of them were entrepreneurship related, and that that was a great opportunity to actually have other people work on the idea, and and that was extremely good because we got whole different type of. Uh, you know, points of view from different people. And some people really liked the idea that much that they said, you know, Alex, you should definitely do it. And if you really do it, give me a call because I want to, you know, be part of it or contribute or invest. And then, oh yeah, all of that worked out really well. Yeah. Mm. 
yeah, I mean, it's something that you, that you get a lot uh, of, of feedback from students as they come through that they say, you know, I learned a lot from these amazing uh, faculty members uh, and, and the intellectuals going through, but you learn as much from each other uh, yeah. and your, your, your participants, your, your fellow students, they're the ones that are providing you a lot of feedback and guidance as well. I mean, it's such a diverse place here. Absolutely. That, uh, I think most, you know, changes or... How do you say it? I guess most uh, impacts that happened in people's lives after Gamba is because of classmates. And we've seen just in our class, right? Uh, We've seen people, you know, teaming together to launch businesses. Mm -hmm. We're not the only one. We've had others doing it as well, just in our class. We've got people finding jobs because of other people in class. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, people hiring each other for different things, right? Doing consulting work for each other's companies. So there's so many different things that come out of it that you you can never prepare for, but you have to be open it when you when you apply and when you do the program. Yeah, for sure. And uh, taking back uh, to one of your points, Adrian, that uh, you know people can can learn and experience a- as they're going along. And and part of the Gamba program is that you know the, this is not a full time program. It's a it's a program that people uh, are working outside of uh, of the program, and they they come back and they do the modules, uh, and and that's things they can implement and, and take away some of these modules and some of these theories, and they can they can learn uh, as they go, and and it's sort of almost an experimental uh, type of environment. How important is that for particular entrepreneurs that uh, you know out there and haven't had this opportunity? Maybe in the workplace, as you mentioned, Alex, that you didn't get the opportunity to do some of the things you wanted to trial and uh, and experiment with. How important is is that sort of environment to to being an entrepreneur? So, so I think I mean, one one thing that's fantastic during the Gamba program is it's a very safe place. Um, so it's a safe place to fail. It's a and as you say, experimentation. I mean, I think to, especially today with you know the fast pace of of innovation, of of technology change, the VUCA world that we're living in, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It's 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 great to have this opportunity to be to have time allocated to experiment because uh, innovation. Um, um, value creation in general in businesses that comes from experimentation and often um, either in in an existing company there's no time or no time is allocated to that or experimentation and failure is frowned upon and mm. um, so you can come here into this safe environment as you've already mentioned surrounded by these amazing people I mean getting advice you know from the other 250 students or so on the program you know these these people charge uh, hundreds if not thousands of euros per hour for yeah. that advice in the real world and yeah. you're in this environment where you're you're sitting with them in in class at lunch at dinner in the bar and so it's a it's it, it is a, a great environment i think to 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 foster entrepreneurship well i actually found a quote from yourself uh alex that takes back to that networking that we've I been talking that about i'm really getting successful if people start quoting me <laughs> <laughs> if that only could okay benefit my business but okay go for it yeah no it's it's just uh, an, okay. uh i couldn't help but wonder why it's so easy to get a date and why it was so hard to network professionally and as right. we were discussing part of the program is conversing with your with your student the colleagues uh and yeah. how important is is networking to today's professional world? I mean, I know personally, I've a lot of experiences have come from networking with people right, and meeting right. amazing people. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that quote you got from one of my YouTube videos, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think that one in particular was the video where I'm uh, kind of announcing my startup. 
and I did that party through a through a YouTube video. So I guess now you gotta let me pitch my company, right? Of course, okay, yeah, so there's yeah. no way around that, <laughs> no, right? Of so, course. And it is related related to networking, so yeah. no excuse. All right, so uh, so Invitely is uh, in particular there for professional networking, right? Because if you look at professional networking and you know the importance of it, we'll talk about it later on. Today to day, it's still very much dependent on very traditional channels, right? People spend at least two three weeks a year going to conferences, trade shows, networking events, just for the sole purpose of meeting new people, right? So that is very time consuming. Uh, it's very expensive. You know, people travel to conferences all over the world. And the other thing people do very often is they sign up to networking clubs, right? So also for the sole purpose of meeting new people. And those clubs are usually very expensive as well. There's a lot of different ones. I think, I guess one of the biggest ones in the US would be YPO, uh, where you pay, I think, between four and $10,000 a year just to be part of it. So when, when we looked at this, um, personally, you know, I, I saw that massive trend of this, those dating apps. That's why I referred to that in my quote. You know, dating apps made it so easy for us and um, kind of late, too late for me. You know, I got married and all of us are. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. three married guys talking about dating apps here. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, it became so much easier to meet people for a, dating, for a date. But I started wondering, what about me, right? Why is it so difficult for me to go meet people in my industry or in a different industry? Industry. Why should I travel all the way to, I don't know, let's say the Web Summit in Portugal to meet people from the tech industry? Why can't I just do it here where I am? So that was kind of the interesting kind of idea we had of solving that problem. That's how Invitely was born. And that's exactly what we're doing today. Um, then another question, you know, everyone kind of still uses LinkedIn to stay in touch with their network, but LinkedIn is not meant to facilitate you growing your network, right? It's just to keep in touch. So that's exactly where we're solving with Invitely. Invitely, we connect people in a very innovative way through an invite. Mm -hmm. So let's say you go tomorrow to London or even just in Paris, no matter where you are, you can and create an invite for a networking vacation, lunch, coffee, those are the most popular occasions we have. Mm -hmm. You create an invite for lunch with a topic like, you know, tech or cryptocurrency or finance, whatever you're interested in. And, and other people will request to join you and you will end up with a small group of three, four people, uh, maximum six. So it's a small, it's not one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. right? Because that could become dating. It's a small group of people meeting for a great networking vacation and it works extremely, extremely well. Mm -hmm. I was actually just yesterday, I had one invite me a, a coffee and I met an amazing guy uh, that I would have otherwise have never met. Mm -hmm. It's a guy who was in Paris for work. Mm -hmm. um, he's Indian living in San Francisco as he has done two, three different startups. He sold one. Now he's working for another interesting company. A very interesting guy. He gave me a lot of feedback on the app and you know, there was no other way for me to meet this kind of person. You know, I would have traveled or paid or whatever, but it might allowed me to to use to basically meet someone for coffee in a in a, in a matter of time. So, it's amazing to see what the traction we have. We're really excited to to see what's next. But it's it's yeah, so far it's really really exciting to see how, how it's kind of developed. Yeah. So that was the pitch. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's then go towards the networking part because yes, networking is a very good, very kind of the most important part of a Gamba program that mm. will last. Sure. And I think not one day goes by that I don't talk to a fellow 
alumni, to be honest. Right. Wow. And this is not counting Kareem, who sits in the same office, yeah. literally one meter from me, yeah. my co-founder, right? So <laughs> we talk others. to people all the time, whether it's investors, whether it's like, you know, we're doing a lot of business in Asia right now, in India. So we talk to people that know about India all the time. And the first, you know, the first people you're going to reach out to are people from your class because you have this amazing relation. You went through so many different things and you just know if you call, they will, they're going to pick up the phone. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> touching on some of the content within the, the Gamba program, uh, Adrian, one of the, the things that's a very uh, famous piece of the Gamba program is called the your first hundred days. Uh, hard to get some information, I guess. It's, it's very secretive. Um, Secret program. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's <laughs> uh, always a lot of intrigue surrounding it. Are you able to sort of give us a bit of an overview of, of what and why it's so famous, I guess, or why it's getting so much attention within the, the INSEAD and global sphere? Sure, absolutely. And, and and indeed, there's all kinds of NDAs. Actually, the participants have to sign an NDA before uh, before doing the, the program. So I, I can't say much about the, the detailed content, sure. but I can talk a little bit about the format and, sure. and the history. And your first 100 days was a, a, a course that was created by the late, great uh, uh, Patrick Turner, who was a professor and INSEAD alumnus. And and he, he hooked up with a, another other um, alumnus, uh, Tim Bovart, who'd done several acquisitions in the in the print book printing industry back in the early 2000s. I think 2001 um, was was the the acquisition on which this this course is based. So together, both of them being entrepreneurs, they sat down one evening and overnight came up with this concept of a of a crazy course where the participants would simulate without technology, the the acquisition of a company um, and the restructuring during the first 100 days of managing the company. Um, so that was the first version of the course. And, and Patrick and and Tim were, were, were amazing guys. I think when they delivered the course the first couple of times, they literally did not sleep throughout the throughout the course. They were they were sending emails out manually and, oh, wow. uh, and, 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 and tried to create the environment of, 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 of buying a company and actually running it. Um, I got involved in about 2011. And at that point, the, the, the course was getting very popular among the, among the MBA students. It was first a full-time MBA course. And, and I brought in some technology. I'd been working in web technologies. And so we brought in some very basic technology to just make it easier to deliver the course. We didn't want to make it into a computer simulation, but we brought in some technology that allowed us to deliver it more easily. And uh, unfortunately, Patrick became uh, very sick in about uh, 2000, 2013. Um, and uh, I became more involved in delivering the, the, the program. In the following year, the dean asked if we could revamp it. By that time, it had been going for I think the first course was in 2004. So it'd be going for nine years and, and we thought um, it would be nice to update it a little bit and make the scenario maybe a little bit more... Uh, um, appropriate for a digital age. Um, you know, pr book printing is, was <laughs> in, in, by 2014 was not the, uh, the funkiest yeah. uh, <laughs> industry to be yeah. in. <laughs> so to cut a long story short, uh, with a colleague, we, we revamped and created a new version of the a new scenario, basically around the acquisition of a bicycle company in the UK and the restructuring of that, uh, um, company. And so 
the course involves a lot of teamwork. It's a competition and the participants are in different teams and each team has a CEO, CFO, chief marketing officer, chief HR officer, and um, a, a production director, chief operating officer. And together each team, and generally each team will be competing against nine other teams during the course. It's it's in the Gemba version, it's a three-day course. And uh, the first day is generally around the acquisition. They have they, they receive lots of documents, due diligence documents that are, are based on real documents. So you can imagine there's a lot of paperwork to get through. And one of the challenges, of course, without giving away too much, is, the, is prioritization. And we're, we're compressing 100 days into three days. So just on the due diligence, you really have to decide what you need to focus on, which I think- Are you giving too many and too much information? Too much information, Okay, I'll stop there. Too many secrets. Stop there. But um, it's, it's, the course is, I think, uh, a lot of fun, um, but it's also, again, an opportunity to apply what you've been learning. We're, we're covering all aspects of the business and the business that they, the participants take over is, it, it, it's, it's not a complete basket, case, but it does need some restructuring. Sure. And um, and we work towards building a strategy for the company and presenting that to the board. So a lot of fun. One learns a lot and it's an opportunity to apply um, a- apply what you've learned during the year. And it's a, it's, it's a great way, I think, to be, it's a capstone. So it's the very final course, um, a, good, uh, a, g- a good way to finish uh, uh, a tough and busy year yeah. in a very uh, hectic, <laughs> energetic, yeah. tiring way. I, I would, I mean, you know, from the student point of view, I think that was the most stressful three days of the whole Gamba. It was, yeah, it's intense and super stressful. That's when kind of the most fights happen between all the people because there's so many stressful situations. Conflict of opinions and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of different conflicts that happen. But I got to say, in my relatively short startup experience, I think I already, we we thought about that case once when we ran into a problem. We're like, okay, that's actually what we learned during the first hundred days. We did kind of have to apply. And that was more like a crisis type situation. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, to hear. yeah. 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 Use in the force. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things, again, without giving too much away, but I think one of the things with your first hundred days is to show that, you know, we've learned some really great things during the year, during the 14 months or, or so at, at INSEAD. Um, but, you know, the world is a little bit messy out there. So it's it's um, it's good to have the the knowledge, uh, the theory and so on. And But it takes practice to actually apply it and to execute in real life because things aren't so clean. Data isn't so available. Um, and in this particular case, it's a, it's a family business that is being bought where, um, you know, it's not always as, as clean as if you go in, into a big uh, American corporate where SAP has been in there for, for 15 years and you have all the data you need. A question for Alex, I mean, uh, is often brought up by, by students around that what's the difference between the, the EMBA, uh, the executive MBA and, and the MBA proper, a full-time course? It's something that's often right. discussed and challenged uh, by students. Exactly, right. Um, I don't know if you want to mention the, the average ages, right? Because yeah, that's, so that's I mean, the, the average of age of the MBA is around 29. Um, whereas your EMBA, I think at the moment, it's about 37, if, 37. if I'm, yeah, yeah around yeah. about that. So Yeah, so that was kind of a big question for me because I was kind of in between that, um, closer to an MBA actually. But at that time I had a, kind of more or less 10 years of work experience and I had a family and I didn't really want to quit my job for a whole year. Um, 
So for me, an executive MBA was a more appealing option, mostly because I could continue working, mostly because people in the class would have more working experience. And um, yeah, so for that, that was kind of the most appealing part for me. And that's why I chose for an executive MBA. Um, and and I never, and I definitely did not regret it, right? Because, you know, I had a job, I didn't really want to quit it. And um you don't have that problem of finding a job, right? Because mm-hmm. during an MBA, the second part of the program is kind of you're looking for jobs mm-hmm. and that's what most people do. I didn't want to be in that situation because I had one already. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so for that reason, uh, Gamba made more sense for us, for me. And yeah, I think you really, when you're in that age in between, like let's say 30 to 30, three maybe, you really have to think uh, twice and like which program is, is the most suitable for me. I suppose Adrian, uh, you might have something to add there. You've, you've, as I mentioned earlier, you've been on the admissions board for the MBA program and you're now on the EMBA program. So is, is you see a distinct difference uh, in people making choices whether to do the MBA or EMBA or different motivations, I guess, uh, in why people choose between one or the other? Yeah, so it's a good, it's a good question and, and it doesn't, it only affects a small group of people who of would lie in the right in the, in the age range. Sure. I think uh, you know Alexander is one of those rare people that could have right. done either. Um, I think what we look for, I think th- you know Alexander is particularly mature, <laughs> both pro- professionally and uh, uh, socially. So so he really is someone who could have done either, and it would have been fine. And, and he chose the. We look for more maturity in the uh, in in the Gemba program in uh, and and the other EMBA program. It's it's um, one wants to avoid the situation where you have someone who's who's young with limited experience with people who have, you know, 12, 15 years of experience. We want to make sure while we love the diversity of the content, we don't want there to be frustration on either on either end. So so obviously the Gamba program, people have more experience. Uh, they're able to, to, to contribute quite a lot from their own professional experience. And the the MBAs will be younger, less experienced, you know, for they, for their age, we like to to think very mature too, but there's definitely a difference just based on the age and the and, and the maturity. Quick fire questions. So I guess I'll start off with a, a very career driven one. Uh, what advice would you give your 20 year old self and sort of place where you were or what you were doing at the time? All right. So, uh, so I'm actually 33 right now, if anyone's wondering on, right. on the podcast. Right. Yes, exactly. All right. For me, advice for 20-year-old self, I was at that time graduating from my bachelor's in Rotterdam in Holland. And I, that's when I joined Google. I was 21. Uh, I started off in Dublin in Ireland. That's where the European headquarters is. So the advice, I guess, for me that I would give myself, I guess, you know, take a little bit more risks, right? Um I kind of know now that it's very hard to make to take risks when you are not 20 anymore. <laughs> at that time, you know, at that time it was like 2007, 2008. You know, well, that's when the crisis hit, and a lot of my classmates had a lot of uh, difficult time finding a job. So, um, so that's why I went for Google was a good choice. Uh, but still, you know, the more risks, the, the the more risks you take earlier, the better, right? Because later on it's going to be more difficult, and you just learn so much from taking those risks. So. Um, yeah, so I guess that, that would be my answer. Well, it was uh, a lot more than 20 years ago when I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was at, in London at the time uh, studying engineering, at, at, at uh, electrical engineering at Imperial College. 
in London. And so um, advice that I would give, one piece of advice would be learn Chinese. Um, right, okay. <laughs> continue <Before> thinking. <laughs> learn Chinese. Learn okay. Spanish. <laughs> um, and you uh, learn German. Uh, and German I, 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 I learned. So I, I did some of the things that I would probably have advised myself to do, but unfortunately Chinese I didn't learn. Um, I think um, that, that obviously in hindsight, some things that I, 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 I would have done, like buy a house in London <laughs> while you're ah, summer, I get a mortgage <laughs> as a student and buy. I lived in Camden Town, you know, in the, yeah, the flat right. I was living in which I was paying what seemed like a lot of rent. I should have just got a mortgage. So <laughs> obviously in hindsight, short the dollar in 2005, that would have been one piece. But in terms of general advice, I think, um, I, mean, I think I've been fairly lucky in that um, a lot of the things I've done um, you know, I would have advised myself to do and, and actually they've worked out for me. So I think um, things that, uh, that that I would have advised myself to do and I did, you know, be, be try, go international. So I, I'd, I'd uh, done a lot of my high school education in the UK and, and university in the UK. And then a couple of years after working, I did come to INSEAD and that really opened up the world for me. So if I was to advise, you know, my, my kids are around, all around 20. So, you know, the advice I give them now is, you know, make the world, make the most of the world, the world is your oyster, mm. and especially today more so than when I was twenty. It's so easy to and and actually I hear an Australian or New Zealand accent, Australian uh, accent, yeah, yeah, Melbourne, so, yeah. So my kids, I are, are taking me up on on their advice. My my daughter just came back from a year in Melbourne. Oh, and, fantastic! Uh, and and so uh, so yeah, any twenty year old, that's what I say. You know, it's it's such such a great um, it's, it's it's so many opportunities right now. Funnily enough, one thing I would be careful to say, and a lot of my friends, um, you know. They, they, they tell their their kids, um, you know, uh, follow your dreams. Okay, I'd be careful with that one. You know, I want I want uh, my children to be happy and and do what they want. But I think it's a little bit dangerous. So follow my dreams. If I told myself, so that's one piece of advice I definitely would not have given myself at, at twenty because I probably would have given up my engineering course and become a busker in the tube, and uh, <laughs> I'd probably still be doing that today. So uh, my advice would be follow your dreams dreams when you're 45. <laughs> ah, okay. So what were your dreams when you were 20, Adrian? My dreams were, um, I, you know, I was in a, I was in a real hurry and, and, and that, that, that's, that's maybe another piece of advice I would have given myself, you know, slow down. You've got a lot of time, especially at 20, maybe less time at my age now. Um, and, you know, I was a bit, too impetuous and did did things, you know, so I, 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 for instance, I did want to become an entrepreneur already at 20. And so my dream would have been, you know, maybe give everything up, try and do the Californian thing, you know, the 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 engineering school dropout and, and start. And I think that would have been bad advice, actually, to, to, to follow my dreams that then. Um, follow your dreams at some point and you'll always get an opportunity. Life, you know, we're living longer. There's a lot of opportunity to follow your dreams. And it's easier to follow your dreams when you've got 10 million in your pocket than when you've got nothing yeah, <laughs> or a load sure. of debt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind and why? We can start with Adrian this time, I guess. Wow, that's a that that is a difficult question because I you know I've I've grown to learn that success comes in many many dimensions, sure. it's not just uh, uh, financial uh, success, but also in um, I mean, gosh, I'm going to sound really cliche here, but um, um, someone who. Uh, what, what's the word I, I really respect, I guess, and as someone like uh, Barack Obama, you know, who who 
who has achieved, uh, you know, really got to the pinnacle of of, of, of any <laughs> of the political Career, world by yeah. any, or been successful by on any any dimension, and you know, didn't necessarily come from a background um, that that you would have expected that, but he managed to. Um, take the steps, get to, to that high office. And I think uh, did did a great job. Um, and, you know, speaking to some of my American friends, we all miss him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, what I what I like about his success, he seems to have, despite everything, managed to keep, you know, at least on the surface, he seems to, ha- to be happily married, uh, have a family, and he achieved all of that stuff. Because for me, you know, one thing I've g- grown to learn is that, you know, successful, I, I, I have many friends, some from my MBA program um, who've been extremely successful financially yeah. and maybe, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily say uh, they, they, were, they were happy. So they failed in other parts of their, and, and I do certainly have many friends on my MBA program who have, have managed to have both um, or maybe slightly less financial success and, and maybe I'd include myself there, sure. but have managed to have a balanced life yeah, and, sure. and enjoy all the other things that, that uh, you know, this world has to offer. You Alex, to have a go yeah. as well. Have a, have a right, I'll keep it short. I guess for me, obviously I'm in the tech world, so I'll, I'll give an example there. You know, I, I work for, for Google, so Larry and Sergey are definitely successful. But the one I would want to mention maybe is Jeff Bezos. It's a bit more of a better figure for that way because, you know, he really started off, uh, you know, in a, in a very innovative um, industry that was at that time very, very small. Uh, and he's still the CEO, and it, the company is is super successful. Amazon and in such a, so many different things, um, you know, he's all over the place. He bought Wall Street Journal. He's like in in, in rockets and everything. So, very inspiring person for for that matter. I suppose we can have one final question. I'll go with uh, what have you changed your mind about in the last few years, and why? Maybe we start with Alex. Well, I guess I mentioned that before. For me, it was really the whole thing about entrepreneurship. I thought there was nothing interesting for me. Um, it kind of had some negative connotation for me for some reason, just because there's so many startups that fail, right? And I just thought, you know, I'll, if I do one, the chances I'll fail are really, really high. So why would I even bother? Uh, maybe that was kind of my thinking, but then at some stage, you know, with, with, you know, me starting this idea during Gemba and I kind of passed, um, I don't know how to, how do you say it? Uh, once I get to the project, I just felt so much more confident, right? If you don't have an idea, you don't know if you're going to be able to do a startup, but once you really get very, um, you know, um, very enthusiastic and uh, dedicated to your idea and it really becomes something, then I, I think it's going to be successful. If it's not going to be successful, the you know, it's probably because of me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that was kind of the, I changed my mind that I think I can still, I can do a startup. Yeah. Adrian? Um, so th- this is related a little bit to, to, to the previous question about, you know, who do I see as a successful? I think one of the things, it's funny, m- most of my contemporaries, or at least the, the and my relatives, um, they've become more more right wing as they've got older politically. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, I would say probably I've gone in the opposite direction. Right. You know, okay. I went to, to uh, I was in, I was a child of Thatcher. 
Right. Okay. Know, yeah. So yeah. And, and, and the, the, the particular environment I was in, in London in the eighties was very Thatcherite. I was, was at least, um, yeah, economically and perhaps even socially very fairly right wing politically. And, right. and, and I hope this isn't too controversial for a business school, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> having the, that's for a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, I've been married now for 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 twenty five odd years to a to to a, there's this uh, expression in France uh, the uh, gauche caviar. So I've been surrounded by uh, social democratic uh, French uh, politically thinking. If you're not uh, French, there's no <laughs> way you can understand that. <laughs> you probably don't. You haven't lived here for so long. Yeah, I get the idea. The, the yeah, message. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it took we, me a couple in of years. English, I think we say champagne socialists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, without again being too philosophical or uh, but you know I was in I was in San Francisco um in November and I have to say I was really shocked by the homeless situation and you know I, I literally spent a I had a morning uh visiting um uh, uh someone in on Sand Hill Road um in the, the heart of the venture capital community very very successful person obviously a billionaire um and great meeting and then that afternoon I was walking through San Francisco and I was and I was surrounded by um, by by homeless people with with a lot of other problems, drugs and and mental illness, and I thought, you know, so I think my definition of of what our responsibility is as as managers of successful companies is that it has to go a little bit beyond um, the net present value of the future free cash flow, and I think if we're going to create a sustainable long-term business. And this actually comes also from working closely with some family businesses more recently. When you look at what their goals are as business managers, it's not just all about cash flow and, and not all about, you know, how can we get the biggest valuation on our company? But I think if we're going to create uh, a sustainable, viable economy in the larger sense or sustainable businesses, then we have to think a little bit beyond that and build systems and processes and, and um, environments where um, the, the peripheral benefits are there too, where we don't have, um, you know, in one street, one person living in a $50 million apartment and you have someone living in a cardboard box. Um, and I'm not saying I have the solutions, but I think I've changed my, my mind from being sort of pure, um, you know, how can we just maximize cash flow to maybe there are other things we need to think about as, as good business uh, managers and yeah, i think that sure. links into what we're we're trying to do at insead with the to be a force, force for, good. for good yeah for sure yeah nice uh, nice little link there and that was obviously a big fair, very strong focus point over the last few months particularly with the launch of the the hoffman institute uh yeah the force for good is a, is a really impressive project uh, running by insead and uh, yeah nice little segue into that and uh, an episode we have coming up soon so uh yeah nice little link there and uh but yeah i suppose that's that's all we've got time for today so thank you both for for your time today and yeah, thanks a lot uh, i really you, enjoyed hearing your stories and uh and and look forward to seeing uh your future endeavors and and how you continue to onwards and upwards so sure all and the best. If, if anyone has questions you're always free to contact me yes of course and where can uh, we contact you you can contact me through many ways uh, mostly social media but also just by my email alex at invitely.co Fantastic. And I guess I better give my email yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Probably the best way to call me. Adrian, Adrian, the, the, the Anglo-Saxon way of spelling it, A-D-R-I-A-N, not E-N as in France, dot Johnson at insiad.edu. Thank you much, Luke. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Bye. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of In The Know. 
If you want to know more about today's career development and leadership topics, head online to www.inthenow.insead.edu forward slash podcast. To discover more about any of INSEAD's degree programs, head to www.insead.edu.